Welcome to another edition of The Last Negroes at Harvard. I'm Kent Garrett. There were 18 of us in the Harvard College class of 1963. In 1959, we were the largest number of blacks ever admitted to Harvard. This podcast is about being black in America for over 80 years. We continue talking about and reporting on the war in Gaza. Gaza officials report that more than 11,000 people have been killed. That's one out of every 200 people. I'm joined by 10 of my Harvard classmates. David Allen. Ah, indeed, uh, in Concord, Mass. Um, and what's going on? The insane thing is that at 82, and most of us uh, hover around that age, not right on it, uh, life is insanely busy. My God, I don't have enough time any day for everything. I'm going to be worrying I didn't get it done. I thought we were supposed to relax. Uh, terrified, frankly, at the state of our polity, but uh, I know we'll get into that. Thanks, Kent. Uh, Bill, Bill Collins. Bill Collins. I live in the first state to secede from the Union, the first, the state where the first shots of the Civil War were fired. And I came here some years ago to work on nuclear waste, which I'm not working on any longer. Uh, Alden Briscoe lived just south of San Francisco in San Mateo, California, uh, and my wife and I have a <clears throat> fundraising consulting firm working with nonprofits. Okay, Marcy. I'm in New York City, where I run Clean Air Campaign, and it's Open Rivers Project and Disinformation and Archives Projects. Jerry Secundi, I'm in Pasadena, California, and watching these stands being put up for our annual Rose Parade, and it's a beautiful day, and I'm basically an environmental lawyer, and uh, still very busy, and I, I think as one of our colleagues said, I've got another conference call at 10 o'clock. Life does not end yet. <laughs> <laughs> David Lelleveld. Well, uh, David Lelleveld, I'm in Washington Heights in New York City, and uh, I just completed a term paper from uh, a book that I read by uh, in Gen Ed uh, composition course in 1959, it must have been, uh, A Passage to India. A Passage to India was written in, uh, was published in uh, 1924, and somebody's putting out a book about uh, the anniversary and asked me to write an essay for it. Mm. And it was just like I'm writing a term paper. Oh, like, wow. That was <laughs> I finished it. Just finished yeah. it last night, and uh, meanwhile, I'm trying to keep up with uh, the horrors of uh, Israel, Palestine, Gaza, and so and so on, and uh, very concerned about that, and uh, many many other things, of course, in India as as well. Nick Bancroft, Medfield, Mass, outside of Boston. <clears throat> uh, these days, <clears throat> my mind uh, drifted back to 1963, the summer of 1963, when a classmate of ours and I, uh, Tim Williams, and I found ourselves in Beirut for about uh, two, two weeks living with a Palestinian professor and his family up above Beirut in Abe in Shemlan. And we found ourselves in the Shatala refugee camp being shown around, having gone through concertina wire, barbed wire, uh, a Lebanese checkpoint, United Nations checkpoint. And it was horrendous. Open sewers packed full of people, um, children. It was summertime running around with no clothes on and dirty flies, trachoma. Um, nothing has changed. Wow. Glum is a good What year word. was that, did you say? 1963 summer. Wow. Oh. Shatala, Shatala. 
one of the two camps in Lebanon. Mm -hmm. And nobody around wanted Palestinians. Leb uh, none of none of the none of the countries <clears throat> uh, would accept them. And uh, the excuse given was if we allow them to come in, it will wreck our economy, it will diminish our safety, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Glum. Good word. 60 words. years right. ago. 60 yeah. years. 60 years ago. Ezra. Um, well, I'm still in uh, between New Haven and Paris, and I'm a retired academic uh, psychiatrist. Okay, Hamp. Hamp Howell, Nashville, Tennessee, practicing clinical psychologist with a zillion things wrong with me that haven't really caught up with me all the way yet, part, part, uh, partly because I uh, fuss over the current political situation too much. And I really like that William Lamont Hill paper that you sent out, uh, uh, YouTube thing that you sent out, Kent. And and David, I hope you, Lilyveld, I hope you got your term paper in. <laughs> okay. Hi, I'm Ann Groves. I'm uh, calling from Oakland, California, and I'm a mostly retired psychotherapist. Okay. Doug. Uh, hi, I'm here with my little Westie again. Uh, Louisville, Kentucky, retired physician and behavioral ecologist, and eager to uh, to hear our conversation today. Okay. And uh, John Woodford. Oh, hi, here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm also writing some term paper type things on occasion. So uh, it's interesting when you have the same uh, terror and dread driving you to finish <laughs> something when you're supposed to finish it. It works the same old way. Talk about keeping young. I went. To, I went by that camp that uh, Nick visited in '74 when I was in Beirut, mm. and uh, I saw it only from the outside. You could tell it was a miserable, miserable place. But I, I was visiting some. Um, I did visit some PLO reps. It might have been Rashid Khalidi, but I can't. I can't remember. Anyway, mm. uh, at the university there, mm. but told me because I was there because the. Um, Middle East Airlines had given me a free ticket to fly anywhere because of some um, PR work I helped them out with for the AA, Arab American University Graduates Organization. Anyway, um, it seemed like it was the, if you didn't look at that camp, the Paris, you know, the Paris of the Middle East, it was very pretty. And uh, they told me, Khalidi, he said, yeah, but everybody you see out here on the street is a member of an armed group of some sort or another hmm. so it all looks normal but it's a powder keg and uh, we don't know who's going to start fighting whom when and of course later on shortly and not long after i left bam in 74 75 they had a complete uh, intercommunal violence uh, wrecking the place so that was that well, i mean i like what you've been sending out recently especially um there was one recently indicating that the motives of the united states and israel uh, the economic motives have not been discussed a lot and that the um, natural gas and other things that are prized by those who start wars is uh, perhaps one of the under or unreported factors behind what could be a uh, an effort to grab territory and and have access to resources that are valuable. Yeah, I mean, that's what the piece said, that basically there's a bunch of uh, natural gas off the coast of, uh, of, of Gaza and that it's going to be uh, taken by the Israelis uh, and, and eventually... Uh, you know, turned into to profit-making uh, operation. And that, again, that has not been talk, talk, talked about very much. But I mean, the, the latest thing in the news that we did this morning on the broadcast had to do with the uh, hospital, that the guys, they're inside the hospital and they've been, uh, uh, you know, fighting there. And uh, this issue of the babies that have been in incubators, that sort of thing. So... 
I don't know if it, if if this is the end game or what what part of the operation they're involved in. But what the other thing that's been happening during the week on some of the news broadcasts has been that uh, the Israelis have really been uh, fabricating a lot of uh, stories to justify what they're doing uh, in terms of the military. Uh, there was a piece that came on just a few minutes ago about uh, about how they're trying to get uh, well two things. One, they 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 showed a what was supposed to be a tunnel, uh, but it was it turned out to be an elevated shaft that went down to the basement of the hospital or something. But they had presented that as a tunnel, uh, typical tunnel that the uh, that the Gazan folks had been using. And plus, in that same tunnel, they had a uh, they had some writing of note on the walls that had uh, in 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 Arabic the names of uh, what they claimed were the names of some of the hostages who had been in that tunnel and were not, not there anymore. But it turned out when some scholars looked at the writing that it was it was indeed a uh, uh, just the names of the day the, the days like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You know, on uh, in Arabic, had nothing to do with anybody's names or anything. And then the last thing that uh, came up a few minutes ago was uh, there was some uh, Israeli actress who was posing as a uh, Palestinian nurse who had uh, was been been in one of the hospitals, and she was explaining on camera how awful the hospitals were and how you had to leave to go south uh, before anything happened to you. And, you know, she was emotional and crying and that sort of thing on camera. And it turned out that it was, uh, she was an actress, uh, an Israeli actress uh, that, that had made that pitch. And, uh, you know, so there's a lot of, lot, lot of things going, going on uh, the, the, over the last uh, week or so. Out of that is the fog of war, and we all right. know what's what's really happening at that level. But we do know that uh, uh, there's terrible uh, bombing and carnage going going on, and uh, uh, that I thought that my, I think that maybe a good thing for us to discuss is how this is playing out here in the United States, uh, so that the Democratic Party is divided, although overwhelmingly in favor of not having a ceasefire. Uh, this, there was a big demonstration apparently in Washington yesterday, right. addressed by uh, Schumer uh, and also of course Republicans. Uh, and uh, uh, it was all about, um, I guess that was the uh, address that uh, 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 you sent us the um, the YouTube about uh, uh, by, uh, Van, yeah, Van, whatever his name is, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, so anyway, the uh, the question I have is how is this uh, playing out in American politics, uh, uh, and what's going on? Uh, I, if it's all being pushed by natural gas resource interests, uh, that's possible, but it's certainly not at the level right. of consciousness. And uh, we have a lot of people who are highly mobilized. Uh, many of them are not very well informed uh, because these are long, complicated uh, matters. Uh, but uh, we've had the uh, censure of uh, Rashida Talib, uh, uh, right. in the Congress overwhelmingly with lots of Democrats over 20 uh, two dozen Democrats voting to censure, censure her um, and uh, and many of uh, the Democrats are saying that uh, the Israelis have to finish the job uh, of uh, eliminating Hamas which is in my opinion nonsense because Hamas <laughs> And what Hamas represents will obviously continue. <laughs> uh, what the Israelis are doing is just magnifying uh, the anger and resentment uh, that uh, has long existed among the Palestinians. Um, I mean, so, plus the uh, plus the leaders. I mean, many of the leaders of Hamas are in are in Qatar. I mean, they're not in the country uh, at all. So 
I mean, that, that's another element. But I just wonder if uh, if uh, Biden's in trouble in the sense that, I mean, I think many people are, including me, I mean, I'm at the point where I, I think I would not vote for him now. I mean, I, I think the thinking at the White House, Biden, is that it's going to blow over, that, uh, you know, we're, what, a year from a, a year, 11 months, whatever, well, I guess a year from the uh, election. And by that time, Americans will have forgotten which Americans are, uh, you know, are, are do all the time about these major events. But I, I have a feeling that this is different. I mean, this has hit a different uh, nerve. I mean, I think it's, to my thinking, it, it, it's almost more profound than, 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 than Vietnam. I mean, it's that it has, it, it seems to be more intense than that. I mean, I could, what, what do you folks think? Let me let me uh, let me react to that a little bit, Ken. I, I, uh, I to be a leader, I, I you can't be very far ahead of your people. Mm-hmm. If if you look at Lincoln, uh, he was only about six months ahead of the popular support, mm-hmm. and uh, and and I I think Biden is not doing that bad a job in the Middle East. I don't think he can come out and say, "Damn it, Israel." They're, they shouldn't be doing this. They shouldn't be bombing at all um, <clears throat> and killing kid, uh, children and so on. Uh, why can't he? Why? Uh, because because I think no one will will no one will listen. I mean, then he'll have you know twelve percent of the population behind him and eighty eight percent against him. I I think you have to slowly move. Uh, people along and and we're not it's not only in the united states it also has to move people in israel along uh i mean I- israel ultimately has to get that son of a bitch netanyahu the hell out of there and and they've got to stop the settlements and they've got to uh, allow and for the long term they have to allow a two-state solution and the 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 palestinian state has to be economically viable I don't know so, at this point how there can be a two-state solution. <clears throat> would have been what would have been Palestine is so cut up by the settlements <clears throat> in the West Bank, the illegal settlements, and now the destruction of Gaza. What could be a possible two-state solution? I think a moment ago, uh, I think it was David was saying that it's just generating more resentment and resistance and hatred. On the part of the Palestinians, so you know it, it's it's uh, uh, and, and it's not just the Palestinians; it's the rest of the world watching, and the uh, Muslim countries that are, that that can identify with the uh, Palestinians. And yeah, I think your question is a crucial one, Bill. Uh, it's come up in the conversation before. Can there be a two-state solution? Uh, I happen to be of the view that yes, there can, uh, just as there was the absurdity of the settlements pushing into Palestine, they can be pushed back. Uh, that uh, causes severe dislocation, but it won't mean the death of 10,000 people and 4,000 babies when they have to move. Uh, and not just the settlements, but uh, in general, uh, I think you make a key point that it's been sliced up disastrously. So what is the state? Well, it can be put back together. Israel was imposed upon Palestine. Palestine can be imposed upon Israel. But who would do the imposing? Of course, is I think you're going straight to the next question. People with uh, responsible views and with fortitude. Uh, yes, uh, there's not enough support in the country. I think Alden probably making a key point. Uh, just as there is a failure to condemn uh, charlatan in the Republican nominating race, so we have a failure here to say out loud both things that have happened are outrageous. Hamas has behaved unspeakably. Can't 
say anything else except that. And the Israelis have acted unspeakably in demolishing Gaza and killing the number of people. That's very hard for people to put in the same sentence that both of those things happened. But uh, good. David, if I can interrupt, I, I think the difference is. Well, <laughs> I, I, I think the uh, difference is that Hamas made this quick surgical strike. And yes, it was atrocious and, and barbaric, et cetera, et cetera. But it was boom, it was done, it was there, it was over with. Uh, whereas the uh, Israeli occupation is, and the uh, uh, war since then, it, it, it's, been, it's, been, it's been stoppable and it, it's, it's accumulating and it's accumulating all this death and destruction and, and babies dying in the hospital and everything else outside the hospital, wherever they're all lying around waiting to die. Okay, Jerry. Well, uh, let me start by saying I'm no apologist for the Israelis. And I think, as I told you before, my Jewish father thought the promised land was here in the US, not in Israel. And he never supported Israel as a state. Uh, and Netanyahu, in my opinion, is a fascist. And the settlements are absolutely illegal. Uh, no question about that. But I am still someone that feels a two-state solution is the ultimate answer. Remember that Israel was in Gaza. They abandoned Gaza. Uh, they are in settlements in the West Bank. Those settlements can be removed, but you're going to need a different government in Israel to do it, is what it amounts to. And Netanyahu was not particularly popular before this. You know, The country was split right down the middle. Right. And I think once this, quote, war is ended, I think he will be out of power. And I would hope we would have a more progressive movement within Israel that will recognize that the Palestinians do have a right to their own country is what it amounts to. So that's maybe I'm Pollyanna, but that's my hope. Where I have a problem, and Marcy and I have had some private emails back and forth, and I've told her, what should Israel have done when, whether it's 1,200 or 1,400 or 1,000 of their citizens were slaughtered, what should have been their reaction? Uh, I'm not for bombing innocent civilians, but war is hell. Innocent people get killed all the time. What should have been the appropriate response? And I don't know the answer to that. Hamas, keep in mind, has always said their ultimate goal was the destruction of Israel. <clears throat> then they go out and they slaughter a thousand people. If I'm an Israeli, what do I do at that point in time? Um, I, again, I wish I was smart enough to know the answer to that. Uh, and yeah, but I mean, I, I overreaction think at this point. But what they're saying, Jerry, is that Israel should have reacted more proportionate. In other words, I'm not. I'm not saying if you can. How, how do you react proportionately when well, Hamas you don't kill? You don't kill that many people. No, well, you don't but, kill that many people. You don't yeah, kill. Uh, but Hamas is embedded within the, the population itself. So how do you <clears throat> do? You just say, okay, we're going to kill a thousand people, and then we're done. As from, from a proportional stance, what do you do in order to stop that danger? Uh, having been uh, an Army infantry officer, <laughs> I know what is the hell of street-to-street uh, -street fighting. It is the worst, period. Uh, as I put it uh, on another thread, uh, that would have been the responsible thing for the Israelis to have done, to gone in and found the tunnels and then gotten down in the tunnels and fought in the tunnels. As horrible as that would have been and the loss of Israeli life that inevitably would have ensued uh, alongside uh, plenty of Palestinians gone as well. And then I point <laughs> out the Israelis could have had that uh, eventuality in mind over the last decades when they were progressively subjugating the Palestinians in a sort of apartheid state. They didn't want such a hell to have to go through. They could have uh, done the right thing. Well, they didn't do the right thing. Uh, I think we're at the point that the reasonable response, and I, yes, war is hell, but would have been exactly to go in and fight street uh, street to street. But when you're saying that, David, does not, that would cost an enormous amount of Israeli lives. There's no question about it. I've never been in the military, but from what I understand, 
street to street fighting, tunnel fighting would cause an enormous amount of casualties on the Israeli side. Were they willing to do that? Would you be willing to do that as an Israeli? Well, no, I mean, what they've done, they, they'd rather do carpet bombing, which is what they've been doing. I mean, rather yes. than... Yes. You know, yeah. But that, that's that's wrong. I mean, that's that's almost immoral also. It is immoral. It's fucking genocide. Uh, no, genocide I, is I, different I, than that. Genocide is trying to wipe out an entire race or population of people. They're not trying to do that. They're trying to wipe out Hamas, and I have to say, uh, from an Israeli point of view, what else would you do when Hamas wants to eliminate you? Uh, that, to me, is one of the greater puzzles here. That yeah. doesn't have, uh, as I as I've said once, I'm simply repeating: uh, if the Israelis didn't want to face this loss of their soldiers' lives, they need to rerun history over the last few decades when they were subjugating the Palestinians. They created the situation. Well, we know that that's the fact. That I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. No discussion about that. If you want to get yourself out of it, you're going to lose some of your Israeli soldiers. That's just... David Lillibel. Lillibel. Well, first of all, I want to say how do wars end? Uh, they end with uh, usually with conferences and, uh, and so on. And that could have been a response right away. If uh, uh, in 1956... Israel took over Gaza, and the United States did not support in Israel. Uh, the United States, uh, Israel, in cooperation with France and Britain, had in, uh, had invaded Sinai and uh, including the Gaza Strip. Uh, it was debated in the United Nations and so on. And the United States uh, uh, told them get out, and they did. Um, uh, so it's possible how that has happened, how the whole history of how the United uh, Israel became bound up with the United States is is a uh, something that doesn't quite go back as far as uh, people like to say. Um, and uh, uh, it, uh, I myself uh, think that ultimately, if there were goodwill, and there isn't, obviously. Uh, there's no reason people couldn't live together in the same uh, uh, country, uh, Palestinians and, and Israelis. And many people supported that. Um, uh, the two-state solution seems to me uh, something that might have been in 1967. Uh, uh, not a very good solution, though, because uh, Israel wouldn't want an armed uh, uh, uh uh, Palestinian state, uh, so there would be all sorts of conditions on uh, what that Palestinian state would be. And in the meantime, besides the settlements, they have so uh, 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 engineered the uh, water supply, the electrical grid, everything else, that it would be very difficult to disentangle um, this area. And we're talking about a very small area. Um, uh, as, as the Israelis will always tell you, it's nine miles from uh, uh, at the uh, uh, bottleneck point uh, where uh, the West Bank uh, uh, comes in, in contact with uh, uh, the Mediterranean. I'd also say that as, as of now and for a long time, unfortunately, nobody wants a, a, a two-state solution except outsiders. Um, the uh, uh, it is true that uh, Palestinians generally feel that Israel uh, that, uh, is uh, an illegitimate uh, creation, uh, and the Israelis feel that they have they're entitled uh, to the entire land. Um, and uh, the uh, a two-state solution is not something that anybody supports uh, anymore in in Israel uh, it, or in Palestine. Um, they want it all, and the only way for them to have it all is to share it uh, in a, some sort of constitutional arrangement. Now, we started off uh, with, uh, um, who was it who was talking about uh, going to uh, Beirut in 1963? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, So, unfortunately, uh, Lebanon has been a, a country in which... Uh, uh, different communities have tried to live together, and the result has been a disaster. Um, how do you do it? Well, 
we do it right here. I live right here in, in New York City. Uh, people live together quite comfortably, actually. We don't have riots. Uh, we haven't had a riot since 1970, was it? 69, 70. Um, and uh, uh, the uh, people live and speak different languages, have different religions. Um, that's possible. It's possible uh, for people to live together. Uh, unfortunately, both the Israelis and now Hamas has put that off for at least a generation. Um, yeah. I don't see any way out of it, but I see that is the only way for uh, somehow or other for people to live together in, uh, as neighbors uh, yeah. and comfortably live together, moving back and forth, sharing with the economy and, and so on. Um, that's the a, a Palestinian, a separate Palestinian state. <clears throat> best, as I've said before, a Bantustan, a, uh, what was designed for South Africa as a system. It would be a weak uh, 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 state with no with no power, no resources, and uh, uh, constantly hemmed in. But not only by Israel, but by its, by its Arab neighbors who were hostile uh, to Palestinians too, as we've heard. Mm -hmm. So uh, could I take this perhaps one step further? Um, uh, David, I, you're about the first person that I've heard or, or read recently who says anything other than there must be a two-state solution. But I guess like you, I've wondered about Maybe there should be a one-state solution, and we could call it the Confederated State of Israel and Palestine. Uh, there are a lot of Palestinians that are currently living in Israel, and although they're probably not uh, treated or respected uh, in, to the same extent that they uh, treat uh, uh, the Jews in Israel, but they are living together, and uh, so it is possible. And if there has to be a lot of just, you know, uh, serious uh, discussions and people uh, changing their ways of thinking about things, um, maybe ultimately, you know, there has to be a, a, a single state solution with, uh, that incorporates uh, current day Israel plus the West Bank, maybe Lebanon. I don't know. Uh, but uh, it, 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 it just strikes me that, that there needs to be something where people are really going to come together and really say we want to live together uh, successfully. And so let's do it in a kind of a confederated state. Mm -hmm. uh, John. Uh, um, um, you know, someone said that most of the country doesn't support a ceasefire, but actually there's a lot of evidence that even in the Democratic Party, the ceasefire was supported. And it's as if no one ever heard of the book Manufacturing Consent, where we see a media blitz to uh, turn people against the notion of a ceasefire on one hand. And on the other, there's a great uh, article in Jacobin saying that the Biden administration's claims that it can't do anything to influence Israel is a complete sham, phony um, a tactic to try to escape uh, coming up with a, a politics of a different sort. You know, the, and this person says in the article, I can send it to people, th the claim that the United States can't do anything uh -oh, is uh, extraordinary. Here's a country that provides Israel with an automatic veto at the United Nations, intelligence support, Navy support in the Mediterranean and Persian Gulf, military presence in Syria, Turkey, and Iraq, tens of billions in cutting-edge weapons and military supplies, and then it claims it's unable to exert significant influence. This is a quote from the Washington Post article planted by the Biden administration. This is you know, so absurd, and there's no evidence to even support the claim that it could not uh, influence Israel. So to 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 buy into that is to be hoodwinked. Obviously, the United States could do something about it if it wanted to. But why doesn't it want to, John? What's your what's be your opinion on because, that? Because I believe that Israel is doing what the forces in the United States, the um, 
full spectrum dominance forces. It's doing what they wanted to do. It's a, it's their uh, garrison state in the area as they see it. They'll, they, they'll fight to the last Israeli for those, for those resources. Hmm. And uh, so I, I don't think they. There's nothing in the United States that there's no force that wants to stop what Israel is doing. John, isn't it exactly what Alden was saying that the public? is still behind what is happening and no the public and all the public is for many things that the government doesn't achieve especially in in housing and and healthcare and and other things this is not a it's not a notion that the republic of public opinion is out there supporting a lot of these things the public doesn't even know that much about the history or the issues and doesn't really care they hear that that uh, someone hit someone and someone else has to hit him back. And then it's a matter of how far, how much do you hit him back? Uh, you know, in, in international law, I should add, of course, there are, we have an international law standards as to how much you are supposed to be able to hit someone back who attacks you. But we don't hear about that being discussed either. Anyway, I would say that the public is being is being influenced to take a position, and it's being told that the United States, and I think this is a really, it's a, it plays into anti-Semitic uh, thought, the notion that the the rich, powerful Jews are leading the United States around by the nose, and the United States wants to, would like them to behave better, but the rich, powerful Jews are, uh, are going to control the media and control the military and control everything else. So the United States can't do anything against them. You know, they get it both ways. That way they appeal to the reactionaries at the same time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Bill. Yeah, a few comments. First of all, the, sing the single state solution. We have people living together in the U.S. more or less peacefully. Not always peaceful. The United States is a big country. It's a huge country and uh, a very wealthy country. And uh, but there's still tensions and struggles and fights and so on going on. Um, it's not anywhere nearly as bad as goes on in the Israel-Palestine, but there are still tensions. People do live mostly in peace, but they have some hope of of bettering themselves and having a better life in this country and and getting along, which is very different situation than I think is the Israel-Palestine situation. Now, Israel was set up as a Jewish homeland. That's specifically what it was set up as. And for that Jewish homeland to now welcome all the Palestinians in as citizens would put an end to the Jewish homeland. It wouldn't be. So psychologically, I think it's practically impossible for the Jews of Israel to admit the Palestinians in large numbers, as equal citizens. I think it's psychologically impossible. I don't say they're right, but that's their mentality. And because uh, of the religion, you're saying, because of the religion. Because I think, you know, the Jewish homeland, whether you call it race or religion, you know, the, the Jewish people as an identifiable thing, this is their Jewish homeland that was set up. Long, you know, the idea of it was set up long ago, you know, in the early 20th century. And it came to fruition after World War II, uh, with the the British. You know, the British said we're going to set up a Jewish homeland, and the British kind of pulled out and it let it happen. And uh, and and so, there's certainly among the Palestinians there are Jews and Christians. They're not all Muslim, although I think most of the Jews and Christians have left Palestine now. There was formerly some significant. Christian presence in Palestine, but it's diminished to practically nothing. So, and, uh, you know, there are something like 1.9 million uh, Arabs, quote, Palestinians currently living in Israel, and they are Israeli citizens, and uh, they're maybe not treated uh, exactly equally on a person-to-person -person basis and so forth, but, you know, it's it's working I mean, Israel is a, a well-functioning nation. And so why couldn't we just kind of expand that? Uh, 
and uh, you know you'll have more Palestinians living together with Jews, but uh, the Jews will have to get used to the fact that uh, their homeland is in a part of the world where they can't live in complete isolation from the peoples around them. I think the issue is, uh, and David, I really want to hear yours, but just to notice the issue is that the electoral majority would almost certainly become Palestinian or Arab right. anyway, very soon. And it would not be a Jewish state anymore. So how many Palestinians are currently living in Palestine? Uh, or in we need some folks to know data to get the answer to that. I don't. The but... answer is 20% of the uh, Israeli citizenship is uh, Palestinian. Um, so it's a very significant uh, number of uh, people, including people who are in quite well off and in uh, important prof professional positions and so on, although uh, it's it's skewed, of course. Uh, but there are also a lot of very, very poor Jews in uh, Israel. It's a mistake to think that the Jewish population or the Palestinian population uh, are monolithic uh, entities. There are tremendous factions among the Jews. They fight. We know that all year long. They've been fighting over uh, the judicial things. Religious Jews are a minority, and they are treated uh, as a, uh, they're very poor, and they're treated very badly uh, by uh, by the uh, Israeli establishment. So uh, it's very complicated, uh, as, as most places in the world are complicated. Um, there are, there are genuine uh, uh, civil uh, uh, organizations which unite uh, 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 lots of people who are bilingual, by the way, um, and most people are not very religious. Uh, so that's a mistake to say it was. The uh, original concept was a Jewish homeland in Palestine. A home. A home for the Jewish people was the language. A home for, homeland was the word. <clears throat> not nation, not state. It was yeah. Uh, in the Ottoman Empire, where there were no yeah. nation states, actually, uh, when all of this started. And uh, uh, during the period of uh, uh, British rule, which was uh, a colonial rule, no doubt, but the uh, British were pushing for a united uh, Palestine. Um, that was before the Holocaust, of course. And the Holocaust uh, brought in uh, a different narrative and uh, huge numbers of people. And then there was this big push to bring in uh, uh, the Jews from the Soviet Union or people who had some claim to, quote, being Jewish in, in, into the Soviet Union. And all of these have created immense tensions within the society. It's really, uh, you know, I would say if I were an Israeli and in my lifetime, I have taken that possibility seriously because uh, I come out of a very Zionist uh, background. Uh, it is really possible to create political alliances uh, that cross the boundaries uh, uh, the capitalists will be with the capitalists, the rich people will be with the rich people, the working people will be the working people. Uh, there, uh, uh, different regions make different arrangements and, and so on. All of that is possible. Uh, but of course, emotions take uh, also are very important. And the emotions that are there now are not what they were, were there uh, a month and a half ago. Uh, that... Uh, 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 it would have been uh, possible to have different kinds of discussions, but now the Israeli public and the Palestinian public are uh, again back to the uh, to their uh, sense that that's all that's important. But it, in, eventually, it can't be all that's important <laughs> because the economy and the society has to be that people uh, are living together. The Israelis are now bringing in large numbers of people from India to do the jobs that the Palestinians uh, from Gaza and the West Bank are doing. Uh, uh, that can't last uh, very long. They have huge numbers of Thais and Filipinos uh, working working there. Why, why are they doing that, David? Because the... Uh, 
the Palestinian, uh, uh, there has been a, a, a significant Palestinian working class doing construction work, doing uh, agricultural work, doing uh, um, domestic uh, services and so on. And generally they come from the West Bank or from Gaza uh, in, into Israel. There's a whole history of how that's come and come and gone, but uh, uh, now they're they're being kept out, even from the West Bank, um, and uh, uh, for so-called so-called security reason. But who's going to sweep the streets and who's going to build the houses and uh, and do all of those sorts of things? So they're bringing in other populations from other parts. There's a significant African population. Not, of course, there are African Jews too, but there's a significant African population that's been moving in in large numbers uh, into Israel over the past 10, 10 years uh, and uh, living as a kind of uh, um, almost lumpen proletariat in the suburbs of uh, uh, Tel Aviv. Right. Uh, so it, it's. It's a small country, but it's a very complicated country. Yeah, it isn't yeah. the Palestinians against the Jews. It's much more than that. Nick. Uh, Ham, do you go, want to go first? You had your hand up. Oh. Yes, I would like to. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate your historical knowledge, David, and, and how it fits in with the uh, present and the uh, papers that you've uh, uh, sent out. Also, uh, I just want to talk on a, the, my sense of the emotional level a, a little bit. I just remember in the 1980s, I, 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 I would spend a lot of time with uh, uh, older graduate students from, from all over the uh, world. And a lot of them who were Muslim were, were pretty anti-Semitic. And, and it would come out as, as, as we talked, as we, as we, went, to, as we went along. And then uh, uh, I remember I was going to rent my uh, office to uh, there. There were two sisters who were Israeli, and one of them was a uh, psychologist. And uh, she saw my book, The Arab Mind, on my bookshelf. And, and she, no, the other sister saw it and, and called the psychologist over. And they uh, looked at it and they talked to, uh, about it in uh, Hebrew or Yiddish or whatever for, for a little while. And uh, uh, they chose not to rent from me. And I have no idea whether that was part of the reason or not. But what I'm saying is, you know, how much, how, how age old are, are, are these angers and hatreds and, and how much can they really be melted? And is this a uh, hatred that transcends anything that we've, that we've known any, any anywhere else where people can't be in the uh, same room even or in, in the same uh country even even if it's a good a good idea and it makes sense well i would say that it's nothing compared to the uh uh conflict between christians and jews uh that is that uh, the muslim the history of muslim and, and jewish relations has been much more uh, uh it's you know it's complicated many different uh uh, situations, but it has been much more accommodating than the history of Jews in uh, in, in Christian societies in Europe. Uh, uh, and we know that the worst things have happened in uh, in uh, in Europe, and not not in uh, in the Middle East. Uh, I have spent my entire life studying the Muslims of South Asia, of India, and Pakistan. I have my dearest and closest friends are Muslims. Uh, they know I'm Jewish. And uh, uh, we talk about it uh, all the time because we share a lot, uh, uh, including uh, religious traditions and, and so on, and dietary traditions and all, and all of that sort of thing. Um, so uh, it, it isn't it, it isn't quite the as 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 you as as you say, and it isn't an age old. Uh, uh, there have been great periods in history, including recently, uh, of uh, Jewish-Muslim uh, cooperation and, uh, um, and, uh, and amity and shared culture. Every time I hear about the powerful Jews pulling all the strings, I think of all my relatives who are dirt-poor working-class people, and they said, 
where the hell is the power? Where's all the power? <laughs> we never got any of it. So, and then, then third, and Kent, this is what you said, and then I'll leave you with this. You know, you're having trouble voting for Biden. The trouble is, if indeed we end up with Biden and Trump, and there are more and more people like you that won't vote for Biden, we're going to get Trump. And that is a worse possibility. I hear you. I hear you. It scares yeah. the hell out of me. Well, Kent and I live in New York State, and Trump is not going to win New York State. So <laughs> we, we vote for Cornell West. Nor California. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. All right, lastly, uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, Ezra, you want to say anything, or are you okay, or what? Uh, well, I, I would just add one point. Um, listening, <laughs> listening to everybody. I mean, I have the same hopes and the same. I go go through the thoughts the same way. One thing that I find particularly problematic, however, I choose one example. In the business about dealing with the hospital, because the hospital is a symbol of uh, institutional life, and it's a reference point for all kinds of things. It's a in an in a, in a interesting way, in many places in Western culture, the hospital is a, a sacred, it's a sacred institution. And I found it as a, a wonderful paradigm to think about. So the Israelis decided that their interests had priority over anything that the hospital generally stands for. And so they decided to go in. And I had no doubt that it would be costly in lives, but it would also be tremendously costly in the injury that it does to the institution and the representation of the institution in secular Western life. Right. You, I, I'd, I'd like you to just imagine this for a second, because this has really been bothering me all week. In, in in most hospitals, in, in in I would say most communities I've come in contact with, the carrying of a weapon in the hospital, the notion of violence within the hospital occupies administrators, I mean, all the time. And you depend on the community around the hospital to make it clear to everybody that you never violate the sacred rules that we have in the hospitals. It, it's been it's been a it's been a preoccupation of, of mine for a long time because it, I look to the institutions for the kind of leadership that all of us are trying to demand here that we can get people to live together and the hospitals the churches and the schools all all have a sort of territoriality that people must consensually agree on within the secular community. And I had a hard time digesting who gave the advice that instead of patiently waiting, that they simply would go in and violate the space, violate the hospital. Even as a public health physician, I can tell you that it's it's unethical to walk into that place and just displace patients and move them. Why would you move people from the emergency unit, for example, or the cardiac unit, or people who have just had who are post-surgery. You simply don't do that. Why would you so take that, the power away from them? I'm sorry? Why would you take the power and water away from the hospital? Oh, I haven't even gotten to that yet, John. I haven't even gotten to that well, yet. But, yeah. but it comes back to a comment that I made the last time. I, th I think, I think the, the Israelis come, came to that decision and the advisors prodded people to do that without understanding the statements that, that flow from it, which is, which is, we're superior to all of you. And so regardless of what single state or double state or whatever you do with it in developing it, in the immediate term, you've got to convince me that you really feel we can live together because we are equal to each other. And that, David, is... is, is um, Lilyfeld, that, that that is is part of the thing that bothers me. It's going to take a long time to pull that off. To pull that off. <clears throat> and the other thought, 
and I know we have to close, but the other thought, the other thought was to compare in 1963 Harvard with present Harvard. Because in 1963, I always felt that was a certain sense of notion that permeated the society that we were simply inferior. But that's been diluted. I, I, I'd say that has been diluted. And how has it been diluted? Because over the years, as a professor myself, we, people have engaged in all kinds of conversations. The, the, the visible, the visible uh, fruits have developed. So what do I mean by that? Well, you know, what do I mean by that? Well, we've got a black president now at Harvard. So, so that there, there, there are reference points that come into play in the in, in sort of in, this, in the society, and there's a sense that we're moving, we're moving, we're making progress, we're moving forward. For Israel and Palestine to do that now in that specific geography, it's going to take a long time. And I say it's going to be slowed up, and it's going to be paralyzed increasingly and stigmatized. When the Israelis and their superiority do things like invade a hospital, because it it is it is too much of a central, a central institutionally defined reference point to be able to just wash that off. You can't invade it, kill people in a sacred space, and then walk off and say we respect you. And that, for me, is 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 one of the real, real difficulties, and it's it's what and it's and it's the thing that makes me almost cry, because it's clear to me. Forget the Israelis for a second, but they would I'd say that there's a major problem in the advice being given to President Biden. That Biden simply doesn't understand that when he says and he repeats it and he repeats it with a vigor. And the Secretary of State does the same thing. Start out every conference. We stand with Israel. And there's no daylight between us. And right away, that is a statement that says, however you want to think about it, Palestinians are second class. And their interests are secondary to what I think as the king what I think is principally important here. Now, I'm not saying they, they necessarily even have to think it, but they act it out. And that's the problem with the institutional behavior that they're, they're, they're demonstrating. And, and how are you going to correct that in the long term when you want to talk to people? I don't know how you're going to do it. And that's, that's the thing that bothers me. How are you going to do it? And it's why also it saddens me because many university presidents have come out. Instead of talking in a balanced way about the whole thing, here I'm talking about U.S. university presidents. They have always started out with the notion of wanting to talk about um, anti-Semitism. I mean, the conversation's got to be defined territorially in a much broader way, in a much more balanced way. Otherwise, it's hard for me to listen to it. So you've, you've, there's, there's got to be some clear cognizance of what has gone on with the Palestinians for a long time. Yes, what the Palestinians have done also is insufferable. It's, 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 it's just unacceptable. But let's have a balanced conversation that covers the territory as, as opposed to one that politically and psychologically clearly stigmatizes and gets everybody's minds going in the wrong direction, which is, which is that there's an imbalance, there's clearly an imbalance, and there's a superior and an inferior group. And I'm just continuing the theme that I brought up last time, because several people suggested that there's no notion of class difference and, and racial difference and so on in the conversation. And I, I reject that, because people aren't talking about black-white, but the sense, the sense of superiority versus inferiority permeates the conversation, even though it is relatively, at some stages, unconscious. But for us, for us who've read and talked to each other for years, you know, we, we, we can pierce that, that veil of unconsciousness and we know what's really happening. And I think that's a major part of the struggle. Regards to where you go, single state, double state, 
you got to stop doing these things that are injurious to the notion of getting together. Because that's how ultimately, that's what we're talking about, getting together. We've got to stop the othering. And if you maintain the othering, getting together becomes, uh, I, I think, a very hard road to hold. Thanks, uh, Ken. Oh, all right. <laughs> Thank yeah, you, everybody. You're the psychiatrist. You were supposed to solve this problem for us. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. My, my, that, that's the whole point. I never yeah. solved the problem for you. All I want to do is make you think about it. <laughs> that's yeah. why you pay me the big bucks. Yeah, you can't come back for counseling next week if he solves right. it this week. Exactly. Exactly. I'll charge us next week for it. Right. Well, listen. Thanks, everybody, and we'll talk next time next week. Yeah. Thanks. Right. Thank you, everybody. See you guys. That's it for this edition of the Last Negroes at Harvard. Gaza, we continue to watch a genocide in real time. I'm Kent Garrett.